Grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It's been said that there's no atheists in foxholes, which I believe means that when you're fighting for survival, literally trying to keep your head on your shoulders, you fearfully cry out to God for help and for rescue. Even if up until that point you believed that you got along just fine without God in your life. But now, in time of great need, well, there's no atheists in foxholes. In cases like these, someone might make a bargain with God. Lord, if you save me, I'll devote my life to you, much like Luther did years ago when he was a young man caught in a severe storm. Lightning struck the nearby tree and he cried out. The Lord heard his call, he was saved, and as a result, he followed through with his promise and joined the Augustinian order, much to his dad's displeasure. Or maybe you know someone like that, or maybe you yourselves have done something similar in time of great need, when you've waited till the chips were down with your back against the wall and facing overwhelming odds, then and only then you call out to God in desperation for help and rescue. While that may have been your experience, I know that here at Faith, you've been taught that you need not wait to go to the Lord in prayer only in times of need or distress, but for all things great and small. The one who knows when a sparrow falls knows and cares about you. The one who knows the hairs on the top of your head knows and cares about you. And so you need not wait for a big life event to call out to our Lord. For thanksgiving, for friends or family or good weather, a, a prayer of blessing for the day or for a meal, a prayer of healing for a child or co-worker, no matter what, no matter when, you can go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus always hears. Now, I'm sure you know that already, and this is your practice. Well, thanks be to God. I tell you, though, sometimes I still hear faithful saints saying something to me like, well, you know, I, I'm sure God has bigger things to worry about than my little old problems. Right? It's as if to say God doesn't have the time or the interest in my life to actually do something about what is troubling me. Have you ever heard anyone say something like that? Perhaps even that thought's crossed your mind? Well, let me draw your attention to the gospel reading for today. For here we see God at work in Christ Jesus. Now, you'll remember last week the issue at hand was the authority of Jesus. Jesus was in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and a man with an unclean spirit sought to disrupt Jesus' proclamation that the kingdom of God is at hand. And while it may not have appeared in the Hollywood fashion, nonetheless, a man possessed is a pretty big deal. And yet at the command of Jesus the spirit fled. I don't know about you, but I've never seen anything like that before in my life. A man possessed by an unclean spirit sounds to me like a pretty big deal, a big problem that was not to be solved by the man himself, a problem that could only be solved by our Lord and our Savior. From the synagogue and from this pretty dramatic scene, Jesus steps into the house of Simon Peter and Andrew along with James and John. And there they find another problem, but one that seems so small and seemingly insignificant compared to what they had just seen. Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. Now, a fever, as opposed to demon possession, is something that we have all seen and all experienced before. And generally speaking, a fever isn't that big of a deal. You drink more water, you pop a few Tylenol or ibuprofen, you wait a few minutes and you start feeling better. It's such a small thing that chances are you don't call out to God for deliverance when you have a fever. This isn't one of those 
foxhole situation, so you believe that you should take care of it yourself. Well, until you can't. Remember a few years ago when we checked our temperature all the time? You know, fever was an indication that something wasn't right. You'd possibly need medical attention and might lead to a bigger problem where then, in fact, you would have to find yourself calling out to God for help or rescue in prayer. This was often the case in the ancient world where Tylenol and ibuprofen did not exist. This account is also recorded in Luke's Gospel, but in his account, he reports that this was a great fever. Great or small, it makes no difference to Jesus. The disciples told Jesus about her immediately, and listen to what he did. He came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. Now, a few, year, few years ago, even if someone didn't have a fever, you stayed six feet away from them. And if they had a fever, forget about it. Run the other way. Even when family members were sick during the height of the pandemic, you were to isolate from them or at least mask up, glove up, and pray for that man for you. But Jesus, on the other hand, well, he takes her by the hand. He has no fear of touching her or being close to her, no fear of contamination, no fear of becoming unclean. He took her hand and healed her, just like he would do with the leper in chapter 1, verse 41, just as he would do with the deaf man in chapter 7 and the blind man in chapter 8. Even when other people reach out their hand and touch Jesus, they're healed, like the woman suffering from the flow of blood in chapter 5 and the crowds of people in chapters 3 and 6. See, that's what Jesus has come to do. He has come to bring healing in all things, great and small. Everyone he touches, he heals. Mind you, not by making the illness disappear, but by taking the illness in himself. This is what it means to be the Messiah, the sin-bearer of, uh, sin of the world. This is why he was baptized. Not to be washed of his sin and sickness, but to be immersed in our sin and sickness so that he could definitively deal with it on the cross. There's another aspect of this encounter with Jesus that amazes me. Look now at what Simon's mother-in-law does. She begins to serve. She kind of reminds me of my own mother-in-law. You know, the moment we walk in the door of her house, you're greeted with a hug, and then you start hearing about the dinner plans and the drink offerings. Amid the sweet smells of home-cooked meal and the warm feelings of being welcomed, the question is asked, well, what can I get for you? Right, that, that's hospitality. The ancient Israelites took hospitality seriously. When a guest came under your roof, you would prepare food, provide drink, feed their animals, and ensure that they were refreshed. The author of Hebrews writes, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember Abraham and the three visitors? Well, to show hospitality was pleasing to God. To not show hospitality was shameful. In the act of taking her by the hand, Jesus does more than cure her fever. He deals with her shame. She's able to get up and to serve. In all things great and small, Jesus cares. That's what he has come to do. He has come to deal with our shame. The shame of not being able to show and, or serve and show hospitality in this instance, but more. 
when Jesus travels to the region of uh, Gentile Gennesaret and encounters another demon-possessed man, this time much more Hollywood-sounding with the broken chains, the self-mutilation, the nakedness, Jesus delivers him, rescues him from his shame. And when the herdsmen return with the town folk, they found the man clothed and in his right mind. See, Jesus covers the man's shame, his nakedness, and his scars. Mind you, Jesus doesn't just do it with physical clothes. Jesus bears that man's shame and nakedness on the cross. He bears the wounds that scar his flesh, he and he clothes that man with his own or Christ's own righteousness. gospel reading for today concludes with Jesus moving on to the next town and preaching there, going throughout Galilee and announcing his rule and reign, the kingdom of God, until he came ultimately to the cross of Calvary. It is there that Jesus deals definitively with the sin of the world that he came to bear. There, Jesus the King suffers and dies to serve and to save the people whom he created. There, he gives his life in place of ours. For when Jesus gives his life, he gives it for you. He bears your sin. He suffers your sickness. He carries your shame. And he forgives you. He heals you. He clothes you with his righteousness. Jesus cares for you in all things great and small. There's nothing too big for Jesus to handle. There's nothing too small for Jesus to be concerned about. Call out to him in prayer in all times and for all things. Praise him, thank him, serve and obey him. When you confess your sin to him, hear his word of forgiveness. When you are filled with guilt and shame, return to your baptism and recall that you are clothed with his very own righteousness. When you are ill, receive his body and his blood, the medicine for your body and soul. See, Jesus is for you in all things, great and small. Amen.